Midday Live on SAFM, 104-107. Seven minutes past 12 here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. This is uh, Midday Live. Welcome to the show, and uh, it's good to have you along with us. Uh, very nice uh, story here, interesting, uh, I might add, put together by our reporter Angela Bolowane. Angela Bolowane is our senior educational reporter, saying that uh, teachers who belong to trade union NATO are facing the possibility of not being represented in disciplinary hearing if they are accused of sexual harassment. NATO is in the process of changing its constitution to allow uh, for this by the end of the year. So that's the story that uh, we look forward to uh, right here on Midday Live 34701. What do you make of uh, this particular story? Uh, 34701 is our SMS number, so we welcome your SMSs. But also you can send us a tweet at Gualapi News. That's where we're at, at Gualapi News. Otherwise, at SAFM Midday Live is our Twitter handle. Another interesting story is that of uh, the office of the ANC Chief Whip moving swiftly to establish a seven-member caucus disciplinary panel, which includes veterans and members of the ANC National Executive Committee serving in Parliament. This, uh, of course, uh, uh, follows the decision of uh, the recent uh, 2013 caucus, Lichotla, which denounced the unacceptable levels of absenteeism uh, during House of uh, Committee sittings and instructed the Chief Whip to put, it, uh, to put in place tough measures to address this, uh, this challenge, this problem. You see, uh, some, some MPs have ne- never attended, really. They just go there once during the state of the uh, uh, nation address and they disappear after that. We know some of them. So, what do you make uh, of that one too? You can SMS 34701. Let's go to our top story now. We go to Harare where the African Commission on Human and People's Rights has ordered the Zimbabwe government to make provisions that allow for Zimbabweans abroad to vote in Saturday's referendum. The decision was made at the end of last month's commission meeting in the Gambia but the details were only released or rather recently communicated to the Zimbabwe lawyers for human rights. The lawyers had filed the case before the commission last December on behalf of exiled uh, Zimbabweans Gabriel Shumba, uh, Kumberai, Tawusa, Muchemwa, Gilbert uh, Chumoroya and many others. Let's talk now to our correspondent in Harare, Shingai Nyoga. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you what is the atmosphere like right now uh, ahead of uh, the Saturday uh, referendum vote? Well, um, on the ground, you wouldn't. All right, we have dropped our. Uh, a correspondent there in Harare, Shingai Nyoga. We'll try and go back to, to, to Shingai to get a sense really of what is going on there. Uh, you saw with the Kenya elections, uh, the uh, people in the diaspora, Kenyans in the diaspora outside of the country but in the region were allowed to vote. So this time around, as the Zimbabweans uh, vote on the constitution, uh, are the uh, people in the diaspora allowed to vote? So we'll be checking that story with uh, Shingai Nyoga. And of course, uh, uh, tomorrow and on Friday, we'll be talking to analysts, we'll be talking to SADC, we'll be talking to uh, all sorts of people, even AU about uh, the situation in Zimbabwe Welcome back, Shinga Inyoga, as we're saying ahead of uh, the referendum on Saturday how is the atmosphere like in Zimbabwe? Well, I would expect it to be a very electric um, atmosphere, given that this is such an important uh, document uh, to determine the future of this country or where it's going. Uh, but on the ground, it's very much uh, business as usual uh, with Zimbabweans. Uh, many of the people that we've spoken to 
say that they haven't actually uh, read the documents, they haven't caught sight of it. Um, so there's really a lot of questions about how they will be able to participate in this process uh, when they really have no idea in terms of what, what the content um, is of, 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 this, um, of this document. Uh, the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission has tried as much as possible uh, to distribute uh, this, uh, to distribute the, the Constitution, uh, but they had to obviously cut uh, the numbers because of the funding shortage. Um, and so really this is very much a referendum that's been put together in a hurry, um, and it shows on the ground. And uh, w- what does the document entail? What do you know about uh, the, the, the document, the contents of the document itself? Well, um, in terms of whether it's a good constitution or it's, it's worse than the previous constitution really depends on um, who you speak to. Uh, many of the women's groups, uh, for example, are applauding the fact that it uh, introduces affirmative action uh, for women in politics. Um, it also, for many human rights activists, um, for the first time it has a Bill of Rights which uh, details all the individual rights um, that, are, that, that, that will protect people in future. Uh, but on the face of it, uh, speaking to some constitutional lawyers, um, for example, the, the, um, the, 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 the Constitutional Committee has said, for example, that it uh, protects, it, it, it's against homosexuality. But according to the constitutional lawyers, this is not the case. And that if you read it in detail, it, it only protects, um, it, it, it only stops um, gay marriage but it doesn't exactly stop uh, the homosexual relationships themselves and also gives them the right to, uh, to form families um, on the face of it. Also, the people have spoken a lot about uh, protecting or curbing presidential powers, but again, uh, many experts will say that this isn't the case. Um, it has curbed presidential powers to a certain extent, uh, but it also it has failed to go far enough uh, to stop some of the, um, the harassments and tortures and protect people um, against the state. Um, so really, it just depends who you speak to. Uh, many people will be going to vote on Saturday. They'll be voting yes, but they don't know what they're actually voting for. Uh, precisely that, Shingai, is such an important document that uh, could actually even pave uh, the way for the elections there in Zimbabwe and uh, the sense that I'm getting from what you're telling us is that there wasn't enough education awareness uh, uh, ahead of uh, the referendum on Saturday so it uh, it creates uh, problems uh, doesn't it? It does, and we have uh, the National Constitution Assembly, which is one of the groups that is campaigning for a no vote. Um, what they say is that if Zimbabweans do go ahead and vote yes um, on Saturday, it essentially closes the constitutional debate uh, without fixing some of the problems that people had highlighted before. Um, for example, uh, sufficiently uh, curbing presidential authority and um, sufficiently reigning in the military and security forces. And that if they vote no, that it still opens the door um, to, to further discussion on the document. Uh, so at this time, really, it's up to people to decide whether they've had enough of this process or whether they still want uh, to leave that door open. And that we'll have to wait and see um, on Saturday. And uh, what is Sadek saying about this? I mean, they, they broke at this deal, uh, the global uh, peace uh, agreement was, global, was brokered by SADC, and of course there was a, some sort of a push to get this referendum out of the way so that there is election. Are they satisfied so far with what they see? Well, well on the, I think SADC has expressed uh, concern at, at the lack of preparedness um, that, that came out over the weekend uh, Troika meeting um, that was held in South Africa um, according to reports 
But as you said, I think the, the pressure now is on Zimbabwe to cross this particular issue off its list, off its uh, to-do list, so that it can head uh, for elections. And so really what we're seeing now is a lot of the um, SADC observer missions are really wanting to see just whether there's, um, you know, in terms of how free and fair this particular process is, um, what levels the violence is, uh, just so that they can at least declare it as free and fair so Zimbabwe can, can move forward. Let's talk about the Zimbabweans uh, outside of uh, of the country who are in the diaspora. Uh, what is going to happen to them? Are they going to be allowed to vote? At, at this stage, it seems highly unlikely uh, that they will be allowed to vote. Um, the provision for, for uh, people living abroad has always been there uh, to a certain extent. Uh, but I think it's always been a matter of uh, whether the government can afford to, um, as far as the Minister of Finance has said, and this, this refer- they're already struggling and to finance this referendum. They only have um, half of the money that is required. And so um, between now and, 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 and Saturday, it's unforeseeable that they would be able to, A, find the finances and, B, set up uh, the, the structures that are required to allow people um, outside uh, to vote. I think really the, the, the call by the finance minister is that Zimbabweans themselves must be willing uh, to travel back to the country if they want to participate in this process. Thank you very much uh, to our correspondent in Harare, Shingai Nyoga, on uh, the referendum in Zimbabwe coming through this weekend. That's the constitutional referendum uh, coming through this weekend. Our, it's uh, 16 and a half minutes now past 12. Midday Live on SAFM. 104 to 107. Our top story this hour, the prosecution in the case in which nine police officers are accused of killing a taxi driver, Mido Masia, say they are ready to proceed with the trial. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,592.15 an ounce. Platinum is trading at $1,590.40 an ounce. The land is trading at nine rand eighteen cents against the US dollar at 13.74 to the pound and 11.95 to the euro. Have you tried booking accommodation online? Booking online means the best rates and widest selection, but which website can you trust? I found that TravelGround.com is the easiest way to find and book accommodation online, and with their great customer service, you can rest assured that you're in safe hands. So whether you need a hotel in Santon or a great little guest house in Franchuk, go online to www.TravelGround.com. TravelGround.com the easiest way to find and book accommodation across South Africa. It's me, Jonathan, in the Big Apple and bringing you the breaking news. On April 4th, Top Billing takes its shortest journey ever, from Tuesday night to Thursday night. It's not like we're going from New York to London. That's right, just Tuesdays at 8 to Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. We'll still be taking you around the world in just an hour every single week. We'll just be doing it on Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. From the 4th of April, see you there. This is when Marcellus and you all are listening to and enjoying SAFM. Stay with us. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Kenya's former head of public service, Francis Mutaura, who was cleared by the ICC of Crimes Against Humanity, is currently addressing members of the media on his acquittal. For more on this now, let's say good afternoon to our correspondent in Kenya, Sarah Kimani. Sarah, what can you tell us right now? There's a press conference that is underway. What is, what is coming out of that? 
when uh, <coughs> that's, I mean, the, the head of the civil the former head of the civil service has just uh, concluded his press briefing and uh, he's thankful that uh, he's he's been acquitted by the ICC but he says even though he's happy he feels that uh, his heart has been broken by what he calls an injustice by the charges that were brought against him by the ICC prosecutor, the former ICC prosecutor, Louis Moreno Campo, and he says that uh, while this court, the ICC was seen as a court that could bring justice to Kenyans for crimes committed after the 2007 elections, he feels that it is a tragedy that the case uh, that was brought against him uh, shattered his family and also his heart. So he says while he's happy that uh, the case is over, he says he's still heartbroken. But what are the wider implications of, of this move now by the ICC? I mean, right up to the president-elect uh, Uhuru Kenyatta, who's also facing uh, the similar charges that uh, Mr. Mutwara was uh, facing. We tried to ask uh, Mugaura's lawyer, he's called Karim Khan, on what this means, because uh, Uhuru Kenyatta, the president-elect, and Francis Mugaura are co-charged. So we were, asking, we were asking him, does that mean uh, Uhuru Kenyatta's charges could be dropped? And he says he does not want to comment about it, but he's hoping that justice will be done like it has been done uh, for Mugaura and two other uh, people other Kenyans who are facing charges alongside uh, the, the Mudaura and Kenyatta, whose cases have since been dropped. But uh, when Fatou Ben Suda was dropping the case against Mudaura, he said that he had fresh, she said that she had fresh evidence and sufficient evidence to prove charges against uh, Kenyatta. So we are waiting to see what, how that goes. But uh, for Mudaura, it is important to say that he was the head of the civil service. The charges have said that uh, he held meetings at State House with members of an outlawed group called uh, Mungiki who are from the Kikuyu community, who are then said to have gone ahead and attacked opponents of uh, President Mikey Baki. Let's talk about uh, Mr. Raila Odinga right now. He has approached the courts. He's not happy with uh, the election results uh, that have uh, given uh, uh, Mr. Uhuru uh, Kenyatta uh, presidency there. How far are, are we with that one? Well, he's yet to file his uh, formal petition because uh, he has suffered to deal with the hurdle of uh, the IEBC, that is Kenya's Electoral Commission, refusing to give him uh, documents that he needs. So far today he was at the High Court. Uh, the High Court has uh, ordered and the IEBC has also agreed that it will furnish them with the documents that they are looking for. These are documents that will show uh, the tabulation and the telling of the election results. Uh, him, he has until Monday to be able to file that case. So he says now if they get these documents, they can go ahead and file the petition. We are waiting to see whether he will continue. However, uh, his uh, running mate, Kalonzo Musioka, uh, some of the members of his party have come out to say that they are now not interested in the petition and that they are going to uh, support Uhuru Kenyatta's government and that they are going to work with them. We are yet to hear Kalonzo Musioka himself speaking, but mm. it, is, it is quite telling that members of his party are the ones who have come out to speak. But generally, what are the Kenyans saying and how is the mood on the ground? Have they accepted now that uh, Uhuru Kenyatta is indeed their president? It's very interesting. Uh, what is happening is that those who supported Uhuru Kenyatta's uh, bid uh, for the presidency are the ones who are in agreement that he actually won and are happy. Those who did not support Uhuru Kenyatta and instead supported uh, Raila Odinga uh, say that they want to see the petition filed and uh, see the end of it. Of course, the Kenyatta people are saying the country must move on. In fact, the IABC has been running an advertisement asking Kenyans to accept the results of the election, saying it was peaceful, free and fair. But uh, uh, Odinga's lawyers 
are saying the least they can be given is a chance to go to court because they promise Kenyans if they don't agree with the results, they will go to court. So anxious moments ahead for even Kenyatta who has to wait for this case to be concluded for him to be sworn in. So, Sarah, what you're saying right now, it's slowly getting back to business as usual in Kenya. It is actually business as usual. Uh, Odinga's people are the ones who are in court. The rest of the Kenyans are back to work. Uh, most of the debates now have been carried out in the social media and also in the mainstream media on whether Odinga should actually petition the case. Um, preparations are actually underway for Kenyatta swearing in, uh, even though if the case does not conclude before the first time, which was March 26th, uh, we imagine that then they would not go ahead and swear him in if there is a case uh, challenging his uh, election pending in court. Thank you very much uh, to our Nairobi correspondent there. That's uh, Sarah Kimani at 24 minutes past 12 right here on Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's go to Parliament now, where the office of the NC Chief Whip has moved swiftly to establish a seven-member caucus disciplinary panel, which includes veterans and members of the NC National Executive Committee serving in Parliament. The establishment of this committee follows the decision of uh, the recent 2013 caucus Lichota, which denounced the unacceptable levels of absenteeism during House and committee sittings and instructed the Chief Whip to put in place tough measures to address this challenge. We welcome on the line the NC Chief Whip, Matole Motsecha. You need to put in place tough measures to address this challenge. But how widespread is the challenge of uh, absenteeism by the members of uh, Parliament? Uh, The majority of our members are very responsible people who work at despite the fact that uh, there are multiple uh, deployments or to do work abroad in the communities and organizations. But uh, there are some elements that uh, absent themselves without uh, any acceptable uh, excuse. And we are saying that uh, over the past years, we try to use persuasion to get everybody to attend and do them work. And uh, the members of our caucus, uh, Lakota, which was well attended, uh, felt that uh, we cannot continue just using persuasion. We must take uh, steps to enforce discipline. And that's why uh, my office uh, uh, established this uh, disciplinary uh, panel, uh, which is convened by the uh, acting deputy chief whip, and we have uh, senior members uh, mm. in the panel, including veterans, uh, and we, we think that uh, we'll turn the situation around. What kind of steps, uh, uh, Mr. Motseha, are you going to take? Are you going to eject them, for instance, from Parliament? Are you going to strip them of uh, being MPs? Are you going uh, to find them? How are you going to enforce discipline? Uh, a disciplinary committee uh, panel will be sitting to finalize the type of sanctions that we will impose, and uh, we think that fines will be part of that. And uh, those who uh, are difficult questions, we will send them to the National Disciplinary Committee and uh, also the Integrity Committee. Uh, so uh, there will be a wide range of uh, sanctions that we will uh, impose. But uh, uh, we are ready. When are you starting? Uh, 
we the the panel will sit on uh, Tuesday next week because uh, some of the members are uh, on deployment abroad uh, and in the country. So we had planned that they meet tomorrow, but they wouldn't be able to correct. So they will meet on Tuesday. The the Lichotla, the 2013 caucus Lichotla, which uh, pretty much gave birth to this idea, uh, is saying that uh, it, it, the NC will not wait for the finalization of Parliament's leave and attendance policy, which is facing resistance from opposition parties uh, for it to curb poor attendance and impose necessary penalties. Talk us through that. Uh, you see, the ANC is a disciplined uh, revolutionary organization. We cannot wait for the institution uh, to remind us of our revolutionary discipline. So uh, we are taking it upon ourselves uh, to enforce that uh, uh, discipline. And uh, some of the sanctions that are uh, proposed in the draft of parliament, we can also customize uh, for our party uh, work because uh, there is some resistance on the part of other political parties uh, to uh, endorse the parliament's proposal. So we are saying we are no longer going to wait for those uh, processes. We will have our own processes and implement it. Uh, the Speaker of uh, Parliament, Mr. Max Sisulu, at some point complained about the quality of documents that come from the members of Parliament there, saying that they are of poor standard. And uh, one of the issues that was raised is this one of uh, absenteeism. So do you think this move now will correct that? But are you concerned as the ANC, as the majority really in Parliament, that uh, the, 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 the documents that you're producing are poor, or at least of poor standard? No, I, I think the uh, speaker is right, uh, but I think a distinction should be drawn between the work of the politicians and uh, the administrative staff. Because, you see, uh, politicians uh, come with uh, policies and so on, and someone must draft these documents. Uh, and that's why, for instance, uh, with ourselves as caucus, we are employing uh, researchers, as I speak now, and we have also called on the institution uh, to employ uh, more researchers and ensure that uh, we have people that have capacity to do the work. So uh, that's one matter that the institution should uh, uh, attend to. But uh, we are satisfied with the quality of our MPs. We think that uh, the ANC has deployed the right people here. Mm. Uh, they, but they need, they need to be assisted with capacity of, of researchers. Um, uh, Mr. Masekha, as we wrap right now, I just need to get from you... What, what is it that you're going to do to ensure that, uh, you know, that there's, there's uh, disciplinary measures that you're going to put in place? But if people break those uh, disciplinary measures, I mean, we know there are MPs who are forever absent in Parliament, and really they, they, they couldn't care less. So what are you going to do to ensure that uh, once you have said to them, this is the route that you need to take, and they break that uh, to, uh, to ensure that uh, they, 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 they told the line? We will name and shame we will uh, uh, fine, and uh, of course the, everybody is serving in Parliament at the pleasure of the ANC. Now, uh, if you don't want to do what the ANC brought here for, and the ANC will have to decide to remove you, there are many other people who are prepared to work. 
Thank you very much. Matole Motsecha is the ANC chief whip. There you have it. He says uh, there are many people who are prepared to work. So the MPs that we know for sure that they are forever absent will be ejected from Parliament. 12.30 now, and it's time for the news headlines with Asanda Matsawinyana. Good afternoon. Thank you very much, Nancy. What does what you wear say about you? I'm not too sure. I mean, I wear what I wear when I wear it. I mean, it doesn't say too much about uh, what, uh, what, uh, what, what I stand for. But anyway, let's continue. This is a midday live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Shortly, we'll be talking to our reporter, Lila Magnus. The state is continuing with uh, its cross-examination of uh, former police crime intelligence captain Dion Lutz in the Burimach Trisman. Uh, in trial at the North Gauteng High Court uh, and of course uh, Lutz is uh, the key witness in an application by the group. The 20 men were convicted of high treason last year and the case is in its 10th year. The accused are trying to show their constitutional rights were violated during the police investigations and uh, the trial. And uh, Lila Machnas is on the line right now. Good afternoon to you Lila. Good afternoon. Talk us through what happened in court today. Well, Lewis is being cross-examined by the state at the moment, and the state landed in an informant's file this morning. Now, the informant was J.C. Smith, and Lewis was the handler of the informant. J.C. Smith was one of the key state witnesses during the trial. And the state asked Lewis, um, you know, is this the file that you uh, compiled while Smith was your informant? And Lewis said, well, the file has been grossly edited. He said someone has removed reports and evidence from the file that he can remember was supposed to be in the file. And some of these evidence, um, he says, was document 12, the document that he alleges the police adapted to make it more of an offensive document than a defensive document. And he also said that um, some of the reports are there. And when the state asked him, well, you know, who do you, who would you think would remove all these documents from the file? He said, you know, he can't say, but he can't testify on the file because he sees it as not being the truth. And uh, when is Lutz's testimony expected to come to an end? Well, um, I don't think the state will stop with their cross-examination today. There were a lot of things that they asked Lutz about. Um, one of the other things they asked him was, that he said in his testimony um, earlier that the plans, these right-wing meetings were about stabilizing the country after um, a war would break out in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And then the state advocate, Besson Rensburg, actually read him a note in his handwriting from the file that said that his informant came to him and reported that um, the plans at the meetings were to use the commanders to take over army bases. So because there are so many discrepancies between the evidence and what the state is alleging, it, it might still take a while for him before he's going to be finished with his testimony. Mm, it's been, uh, Lila, it's been 10 years, really, uh, of, this, uh, of this matter in court. How many other witnesses are yet to testify, and how far uh, is uh, the end of this matter now? You see, after the guards were found guilty last year, we all expected that it would only take about a year for the sentencing procedures to be finalized. But then the group came with this application. And the first witness, um, which is Dion Lewis, has been, I think it's uh, the end of last year, they started with his testimony. So it's already been a few months. The state indicated that they are going to call 10 witnesses at least 
to refute Lewis's allegations. And um, so we're looking at quite some time. I think it, this, only this application might take the rest of the year to finalise. Thank you very much uh, to our reporter, Lila Magnus. Let's go to Luanda now, where South Africa and Angola are to provide material and financial support to the DRC government to help foster stability in the strife-torn northeastern part of the Congo. This emerged after a tripartite meeting between President Jacob Zuma, Angola's Jose Eduardo dos Santos, and uh, Joseph Kabila of the DRC at the Angolan capital, Luanda, yesterday. The move follows the signing of uh, the Peace, Security, and Cooperation Framework for the DRC at the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa a fortnight ago. Our correspondent Tsepo Ikaneng is in Luanda and compiled this report for us. Since President Kabila came to power 12 years ago, the DRC government has been crippled by poor governance, violent competition over mineral resources, and an army that cannot defend the country's territorial sovereignty. The Addis Ababa peace agreement is intended at curbing the mushrooming of armed militia and rebel groups in the eastern Congo. The peace pact covers a number of areas which include a commitment by the DRC government to deepen democracy and the drastic reform of the country's security sector. The agreement also calls on President Kabila to consolidate state authority and reform government institutions. President Zuma and his Angolan counterpart Jose Eduardo dos Santos have agreed to help the Kabila government expedite the process of reforming the state and security institutions. We, we have agreed to support the efforts that President Kapila is doing in uh, the DRC to ensure that there's peace and stability and that what we are going to be doing will be really complementing as well in another sense the broader agreements that have uh, been reached which involve the UN, the AU. We have already cooperation with them in terms of the military, the police, uh, the administration and they also they have other, other cooperation that they had with Angola. These are some of the issues that will be looked at. Executive Director at the Institute for Global Dialogue, Dr. Sipamantra Sondi, says the move by South Africa and Angola to help strengthen DRC's dysfunctional governance institutions is a welcome development. To offer to strengthen the government of the DRC is an important uh, part of the peace agreement because a fundamental problem facing the DRC is that there isn't a, a full government over the DRC. It, is, it almost doesn't exist in the eastern of DRC, both in military terms and in political terms. So the government in the DRC needs strengthening uh, so that you do not have vacuums that are filled by all sorts of uh, rebel groups and armed, uh, armed groups of various kinds and invading forces from neighboring countries. Meanwhile, leaders of Rwanda, Uganda and the DRC will convene a high-level meeting over the weekend to engage the M23 rebel group in another round of peace talks. President Sumer supported the decision by Great Lakes leaders to engage M23 rebel movement. Well, as, as soon as they exist uh, as, 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 as a rebel group, therefore the issue really of uh, undertaking discussions with government becomes an inevitable thing. Because we cannot stop any conflict without discussions and reaching agreements so that we could conclude any peaceful process that we would want to undertake. So. The fact that they are talking, we are hoping that they will be able to reach agreements and then we could resolve the problem. To further enforce the DRC peace deal, the UN is pushing for the deployment of an intervention brigade to contain the expansion of both the Congolese and foreign armed groups. Mozambique and Tanzania have already expressed interest in providing the troops. 
Sepo ikanem for SBC News in Luanda, Angola. It's at 20 minutes to 1 right here on Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And uh, Kosi, Mark, Sipo and uh, Joe in Peter Morisbeck, I'll be reading your SMSs shortly. The chairperson of the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, Judge Ian Fallam, has once again appealed to the media houses who have not yet supplied footage of the August 16 shootings to do so before it, comes, it becomes too late. This after the legal representative of the injured and arrested minors, Advocate Darlin Pofu, raised concerns that there are some media houses who are resisting to supply the material. Let's talk to our reporter right now, Pumzile Mlangeni. Pumzile, just take us through what the judge had to say and why did it come to that kind of uh, pronouncements? Well, the judge, he was obviously, you know, very disappointed that, you know, some legal representatives have come forward saying that there are other media houses that haven't um, brought forward any footage because, you know, throughout the cross-examination of Makidiwana, there was a point where, you know, he was adamant that there was some footage, you know, that it was taken, but it was not viewed before the commission. And that's when the Limpofu says there's some, you know, media houses, including the SABC, you know, he was referring to the SABC saying that there's a real footage that the SABC hasn't supplied to the commission. And Ian Falam said, no, they would just, you know, they would look into that because they had meetings with media houses before the commission could resume. And what they discussed was the issue of uh, footage, including photographs that have been taken and that they should be supplied to the commission because if it happens that those uh Footages or photographs, you know, surfaced after the the commission. Those media houses might be facing very serious implications. And uh, are they going to subpoena the uh, media houses who are refusing to supply that material? Um, not necessarily, because it doesn't look like the media houses have refused to submit the material. Basically, at this point, you know, Paul pointing out that probably there's someone who hasn't sent the the, the the footage, because they agreed all media houses that they would supply the footage, it's not a matter of them not, you know, willing to 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 be to to cooperate. The problem is that the footage is yet to be to be to be supplied. Basically, it, it is a thing that might take a day or two, so that you know those media houses they will probably check on their you know footage, their archives, and see which footage is in descent. It's not an issue of that media houses are are actually refusing, but it's a, it's a point where you know they, they will probably submit to those footages. Ria Pieja, the National Police Commissioner, was expected to take the stand today, but we heard that uh, that's pretty much unlikely today. Talk us through that. Well, she was supposed to have taken the stand, you know, after lunch time or, I mean, after tea time or lunch break, but now we've adjourned because Mpofu has not concluded with the re-examination. He indicated this morning that he would be done by lunchtime and that the police should prepare um, Ria Pieja so that she can come and take the stand immediately after lunch, which happens at about half past one or two normally. So today what we saw now, uh, the commission adjourned because um, the problem like Idiwana, you know, yet again he broke down after seeing some, you know, footage where he was involved in the shootings and he could not contain them himself. So the judge decided that, you know, let's adjourn and 
will come back. So we'll see from them. But by the look of things, Mpupu will probably take 45 minutes to an hour, which means he might, you know, overlap until 3 o'clock and that. And by that time, it would be probably late for the for the commissioner to come and testify. But they haven't confirmed uh, whether she will not be testifying or not. But if Mpupu continues to drag uh, the re-examination, we might see Riyapiyaha taking the stand tomorrow. Thank you very much, our reporter Pumzile Mlangeni. Let's go to the Big Apple now. In a boost for South Africa's climate change credentials, Johannesburg has been named the host city of the next C40 Climate Leadership Group Summit. C40 is a network of almost 60 mega cities around the world that form linkages and adopt best practices to mitigate and adapt to the effects of climate change. C40 chair and the New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg and Johannesburg Mayor Park Dow made the announcement at a joint press conference in the Big Apple. Show and Bryce Pierce reports. It's about the best ideas and then collaborating around them on how big cities can lead in the fight against climate change. New York's Mayor Michael Bloomberg announced that the summit would coincide with the 20th anniversary of the end of apartheid. This meeting will give city leaders, climate change scientists, journalists and others from around the world an opportunity to exchange ideas and to see what Mayor Tao is doing to make Johannesburg a more sustainable city and also help the people of the city mark this 20th year anniversary of a great transition to a multiracial democracy. C40 was created in 2005, the aim to reduce carbon emissions and increase energy efficiency in large cities around the world. Mayor Parks Tao will assume the chairmanship once Mayor Bloomberg steps down. This is where the rubber hits the tar, and this literally happens in local government because we have to deal with the, the provision of public transport, the provision of electricity, and other services that impact on climate change. And it is through direct efforts by local government that we have witnessed through C40 uh, and other initiatives the ability of local government to impact on climate change in a meaningful way. Mayor Tao said Johannesburg was proud to be named host city of the event that will see Mayor Bloomberg, also one of the world's wealthiest individuals, visit South Africa for the first time. We believe that this summit gives us the opportunity not just to continue positioning ourselves as a city that has the capacity to host major events, but also as an active participant in initiatives around climate change. As a city of Johannesburg, we have been members of the C40 steering committee since its inception, and uh, our activities have related to ensuring that we do not just undertake initiatives by ourselves as a city, but undertake initiatives together with partner municipalities throughout the world, saying how do we take best practice from other cities. Mayor Bloomberg joked about his eagerness to hand over the chair's mantle to his younger counterpart from Johannesburg. He is one of the great young mayors in this world, and uh, the future of our planet really is in the hands of uh, his generation more so than mine. So um, uh, I will be uh, sitting on the sidelines eventually, feet up, retired, breathing clean air, drinking clean water, being able to get around all because of you. So thank you very much. The summit will take place in February next year. Sherman Bryce, SABC News, New York.
Lovely story, this one. And indeed, I was uh, very proud of uh, Mayor Park Star addressing that joint press statement, a rather conference uh, in the Big Apple. He was very confident, very articulate, very clear as well. Very well done, Mr. Tao. Or shall I say, Councillor Tao, you made South Africa very proud there. Let's go to the dealing room now and uh, say good afternoon to Clinton Smith of Port- uh, Portfolio Manager at Sasfin Securities. Clinton, how is uh, the market looking today? Afternoon. Uh, well, the market's trading more or less flat at the moment, uh, Bongi, with the uh, slightly, weaker, slightly weaker rand helping to keep us in the green as the European indices trade uh, slightly lower today. At the moment, we've got the gold board up 0.6%. Uh, resources are flat at the moment. Industrials up 0.2% and financials are down 0.3%. Uh, overall, the market's up just eight points at the moment at uh, 40,960 points. Any big movers on the market today? Uh, trading high, we've got Jubilee Platinum up 3.6%. They're trading 1.14. Uh, Sabanya Gold is up 3.1% at 14.44. Uh, Kaplan County is up 1.9% at 37.05. And Richmond is up 1.5% at 76.39. And then trading low today, uh, Cash Built is down 4.9% uh, after putting some results out this morning, uh, trading 123.50. Uh, Fashini is down 3.6%. And uh, your latest market indicators? Uh, gold currently sitting at $1,591. Platinum uh, $1,590. So, uh, so almost a parity with gold there. Uh, Brent crude at uh, $109.42 a barrel. Uh, yield on R157 is currently 5.38%. And then finally, we've got the Rand at 9 Rand 18 to the dollar, uh, 11 Rand 95 to the euro, and 13 Rand 74 to the pound. And that's it from me. Thank you very much uh, to Clinton Smith, Portfolio Manager at Sasfin Securities. A couple of SMSs here coming from uh, Sipom Gladly in Peter Maritzburg. This NATO matter is dangerous in that there are malicious cases of people being wrongfully accused of uh, sexual crimes. You heard that uh, teachers who belong to trade union NATO are facing the possibility of not being represented in disciplinary hearings if they are, if they are accused of sexual harassment. And uh, Joe in Peter Maritzburg, when will the ICC ever bring charges against European and American leaders such as uh, George Bush for human rights abuses. And uh, Mark in Cape Town is saying that uh, we can at last look forward to Winnie attending. I guess you're talking about uh, the ANC there. Uh, as you heard, we were talking to the uh, ANC chief whip about uh, setting up a committee that will deal with the levels of absenteeism in Parliament. You cannot expect any quality document from uh, the Chatterist in Parliament. They are bankrupt politically. That's a cause in PE. Human rights activist Lisa Vetten has called on government to install adolescent-friendly facilities in schools to allow teenage learners to have space to bread, uh, breastfeed and change nappies. Vetten says this will encourage learners to stay in school after pregnancy. She was addressing a colloquium on teenage pregnancy in Johannesburg. Senior education reporter Angela Bolowane attended and filed this report. Statistics show that the rate of teenage pregnancy is going down, but education stakeholders are not relaxing just yet. Indeed, the statistics are still high. 
About 86,000 teenagers gave pregnancy as a reason for disrupting schooling between 2002 and 2006. Early pregnancy is 60% more likely in rural areas. 40% of women became mothers by the age of 20. Over 17,000 donors were pregnant in KZN last year. Activist Lisa Vitton says something drastic needs to be done to ensure that learners return to school after pregnancy. Are there facilities? Is there space at school for breastfeeding? If girls want to come back to school and they have got no one at home to look after their babies, is there a space they can go to? Because <laughs> I think if you want to give girls the message that they ought to be continuing their, they ought to continue the education, you need to create the space for them to do so. Also, is there a space for them to change nappies? And again, if they are the primary caregiver and you want them back to school, are there ch- child care and some sort of creche facilities are needed? Are you providing them? Vetton says these are some of the recommendations government, school governing bodies and other education stakeholders should look into if they want to strengthen efforts to retain particularly girl learners in schools. Retaining learners in schools, she says, reduces their chances of having a second baby. She also says there's no evidence that abstinence programs work and claims that the child support grant encourages pregnancy have been proven false by research. Vetton says teenage pregnancy mostly happens in the ages of 19 and 20 contrary to popular belief. Now, teenage fertility is actually declining in a context in which more and more women are getting access to a child support grant. So there really isn't evidence to suggest that there is any relationship between the two. In fact, the bulk of the age group most likely to be claiming the child support grant are women in their 30s. Housing Education MEC Barbara Creasy says she is encouraged by indications that the rate of teenage pregnancy countrywide has decreased by 13% in 2010. She says the department is using a number of programs to address teenage pregnancy directly and indirectly. In 2008, there were 953,000 girl learners in the whole education system in Gauteng and 4,874 became pregnant. In 2011, there were 1,040,762 girl learners in the system, and 4,217 Dr. Elizabeth Floyd of the Gauteng Department of Health says it seems families are talking to young people about sex, judging from the reduction in HIV infections. She says that 8% of young people start having sex before the age of 15, and it's more boys than girls. And 4% of young men report being forced to have sex. She warned, however, that leaving school increases the chances for girls. Now what this trend we've seen is HIV has come down in teenagers, but it takes off dramatically when they leave school, particularly for the girls. The boys come into the picture a little bit later. So leaving school ups young women's um, risks of HIV. The peak age for risk for women is 15 to 29. The worry around teenage pregnancy is that many of these learners were forced into a corner. Most of the learners have partners that are older than them, and research shows that there's pressure on young people to prove their fertility. Research has also found that there are increasing numbers of primary and high school learners that have been found to be HIV positive. That report by Angela Bulawan. And time now for Create with Michelle Constant.